and welcome back to the What The Fork Sunland preview show. It's an early one, but hopefully still a good one this week as I jet off to New York for a well-earned rest, if I do say so myself. However, in terms of side, things are a little bit rosier on that front since Saturday's injury time win over Gillingham. But another win against playoff rivals Oxford United this weekend would go a really long way, in fact, solidifying our playoffs come season end. As ever, for his 145th million appearance on the podcast, <laughs> is the only Oxford fan that I seem to allow on. It's Sai from the Fence End Podcast. How are you doing, mate? You all right? I'm, I'm very well. Great great to be here. Thanks for asking me on again. Really enjoy I, it. I tried to calculate what actual appearances was, but I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I was in the middle of packing and I was like, I can't score this far back. I'm just going to make some kind of horrendous, boring joke that it's your 147th joke and, and roll with it. But um, thanks very much for joining me on a Monday evening. Obviously, as I explained before, there's reasons for that. Um, but we'll start from the top. Obviously, big loss for your boys on, on Saturday. Um, good for us in some sort of ways. Mm. don't know if I'd prefer a draw. I think probably... Plymouth looked like they're doing all right. But you basically went down 1-0 at Plymouth. At Plymouth. Um, how was the game from your perspective? Yeah, first half, we were fantastic. We, Gavin White perhaps should have scored in one-on-one with the keeper and their, their keeper is good and he made a fantastic save with his foot um, that really perhaps Gavin White should have put that one away. Matt Taylor had a chance where he kind of lobbed the keeper it hit the roof of the net. Um and then we had a penalty awarded, which was then disawarded or unawarded or whatever, because the linesman had, had flagged for an offside in the build-up to it. But looking again at the time, people were going, he looked miles onside. And you, you watched it back on Quest and it was clear he was onside. So we, we, were, we were unlucky, you know, two really good chances and a penalty we should have had in the first half. If, if one of those goes in or two, it's perhaps a different matter, but they're a, they're a good side and they, they just don't concede. Um, and although we've been scoring a lot recently, um, it, yeah, we kind of, we came up against a, a side that were just that little bit too good. And they, they are quite, you know, they're an efficient side. They get the ball forward quickly, but on the ground, you know, they're not just a lump it forward, but they're, they're a quick side. And, you know, they, they got a slightly, the keeper was slightly unsighted for their goal, but, you know, I think one nil perhaps flattered them, you know, but I'm saying that because I'm an Oxford fan and we were we were unlucky in the first half. But we we played okay. Um if we play like that for the rest of the season, we won't be too far away. I think um actually I watched the highlights on Quest and I remember afterwards because that I watched the highlights on Quest and then I watched the highlights in the preparation for this via I think Oxford YouTube channel. And I've seen the things that you mentioned beforehand. But on Quest, um they said, oh, the score could have been worse. Plymouth were so far ahead. And I thought, oh, well, that, that's quite strange. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, the result put you in seventh place. That's out of the playoffs for the first time in a while. Yeah, There's six games to go, um, and there's lots of twists and lots of turns, um, as it always is. But how much pressure has now been put on this weekend following the result they had on Saturday? Yeah, a fair bit. I mean, we we go to Morecambe tomorrow um, in a rearranged game. We should have played them um during the international break. So, you know, that's a game you'd expect us to win. They're in the, in the, you know, relegation spots and they're, you know, they, they struggle. And we really should be going up there and getting a result. If we don't get a result against them, then I think that really puts the pressure on for Saturday. You know, I think win tomorrow, draw with you guys. That's not too bad a return from the two games. Um, you know, um, you know, win against you'd be fantastic. I think it's a, it's a must not lose game against you. 
rather than a must win. I think if we, you know, if you if you lose, it's it makes it really hard. Um, draw and and we we keep that sort of distance between us to to a minimum. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's building up to be a very very big game. I think I was looking at the the fixtures and stuff like that, and you're right in what you're saying. Obviously, you've got Morecambe tomorrow night. But for the first time in a while, because it's felt like for ages that other teams have had games in hand on us. And for a little while, we thought, well, we've done that all season. Eh, sorry, all previous seasons and duffed it up. So these teams are liable to duff it up as well. And none of them mm. actually really have, um, right. which is really frustrating. But I think if you, obviously, with your game tomorrow night, based on your result, if you get a draw or win, you go above us. But we then have a game in hand on you for the rest of the season. I think, is that correct? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure when the games sort of work out and when we're playing. I think, yeah, you're you're that yeah. Then that game in hand is the, is in the last week of the season. You're right. You play midweek in the last week of the season where we don't. So that's that's when you then catch up. That's right. We've got that, Rotherham as the game. Rotherham. Yes. Yeah. I find it quite an interesting because I was going to ask you about the Morgan game because obviously, as I said at the start, we've recorded early, so in a sense things could change based on what you have, but essentially something also need not to lose that game um, come what may happen for Oxford tomorrow. But looking at your, your fixture list, it's a funny one, really, because you've got Morecambe who are scrambling. You've got us who are like right next year. You've got Fleetwood who are still down there. You've got MK Dons who are going to be up for automatic promotion. You've got Rotherham who I would have thought would have been clear by this point. I was quite happy we were playing them around then. Mm. But but they've had a bit of a wobble and it's suddenly got close. And then you've got Doncaster who are probably the... I think they're probably going to be relegated by that point. Sorry, Doncaster fans, mm. but you've got a mix of top teams there and a mix of teams that are scrambling. Would you much just prefer to play mid-table teams? Possibly, yeah. There's always that sort of teams at the bottom fighting for their life, but they're also down at the bottom because the whole season they've been useless. You know, it, it's and, and mid-table sides with nothing to play for, perhaps relax a bit more. And, and you know, it, but that that could be the you know Doncaster could be down when we get them play them in the last game of the season. They might relax. We might the pressure might get to us, and it, it's it's horrible. I, it's it is that horrible time of the season where sort of. I won't say form goes out the window, but there's always weird results. Like last season, we were we were waiting, you know, last game of the season. We needed to win and we needed Accrington to get a result at um, Portsmouth. And it's like, well, we got our result, but that's probably not going to happen. You know, you're hoping for a miracle there. Sure enough, Accrington, you know, turn over Pompey. And it's, that will happen. We, even if, you know, Saturday we might lose, the following week it might get turned around because it is still so tight. It's, you know, what a, a game from week to week. And Plymouth as well. I know, you know, we're looking at Plymouth there, seven points ahead of you, eight ahead of us. They've got a horrible run in. You know, they, I think yeah, they awful. play they play Wickham and, and Rotherham and, and Wigan and MK. They've got a really, really tough run in. So it's, it's, it's going to be tight all the way through to the end of this. Hopefully, anyway, unless we lose sort of three or four on the trot and then we're, we're out of it. But it, you just get the feeling that there's... We, we need to kind of keep calm and not get too worked up by a result, you know, by individual results. You know, the, I know Carl Robinson always goes with five game blocks, you know, looks at the points in, in five game blocks. And you, it, I think that's probably within the club, the right way to do it, you know, not to get too carried away with defeats or wins and, and just look at a, what are you going to get in that five game block? Um, so we'll see where we're at. <laughs> I always remember, 
talking about teams needing results at the end of the season, I remember, I think I've told this story before in the podcast, a longer version of, but we basically, 97, 98, we needed a, we needed to beat Ipswich on like which was our like game in hand. And then when our last game of the season against Swindon, obviously Quinn and Phillips years, we got beat at Ipswich, who at the time a good side, like of uh, Alex Maffey, ex Mag, as people will remember if they're old enough. Um, and David Johnson up front. It was when they had like Kieran mm. Dyer and all, all those kind of young players, Matty Holland in midfield. And we went to Swindon needing news to get a result against um Borough. And you were nil-nil at half-time and we thought, oh, bloody hell, Oxford might be doing this. I think you went down that season. The season would beat you 7-0. And then you got yeah. absolutely twatted 4-0 second half and Borough went up. And we <laughs> we went into the playoffs and we played Charlton and everyone knows the rest of that. But anyway, I won't depress mm-hmm. anyone with too much. But yes, I just came into my mind there, so I thought best mention it. Um, form's really important at this time of the season for clubs in and around the playoffs, ultimately, for a million reasons and all those cliches that go with it, which I'm sure I'll mention at least one point. In fact, I think I know I'm going to. Um, form isn't bad for Oxford. And obviously, you've got to take into account you've got a game tomorrow night, but or tonight by the time people are listening to this. Um, but it's a tad patchy. Three wins, two defeats, one draw in the last six. You'll be having those same exact conversations that Sunderland fans and our fan base is having. And I imagine probably something along the lines of we need to make sure we're the form team heading into the playoffs. We need to be that team, mm. i.e. we need to be Blackpool from last season. How confident are you that Oxford are going to be that side that can go into the playoffs and, and win it if you get into them? It's tricky. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the at the, the results recently and, and the, we, we scored a, a last one, 95th minute equaliser against Ipswich. And that's the only draw really since the beginning of February. We either win or we lose and at the moment. And uh, I think there's that, nobody really in that playoff scramble, you know, from kind of Wickham upwards, really. I think, I think Ipswich may be... Uh, might be a bit too much for them now. If they make it, they're they're going to be a team that really are in form. But everybody else, you know, Sheffield Wednesday, yourself, us, when nobody's in really bad form, it's it's almost going to be, you know, who's fit. I think it's, I think does form go out the window? Probably. It's, it's tough. It, it's it's down to a playoff. It's that cup games then, and it? it's it it's it's a tough tough one to call. Um, and I'm, I'm not really making a lot of sense. You've invited me on for about the 15th time and I'm talking nonsense. You've been not bringing him back on. Um, but it, yeah, it, it, it's going to be that kind of, do, do you kind of at some point settle for the playoffs? You know, those teams that are really well-established, MK and Plymouth, you know, if they don't catch Rotherham or Wickham, do they then rest players to make sure they're fully fit? Do you keep players playing to keep the form going? It's it, it's a real balancing act for for clubs to to manage players' expectations, form, all of that stuff going into the last couple of games of a season. I, you know, first of all, make sure you get in the playoffs. But if you're in the playoffs, you then kind of finding that balance of of yeah, keeping the keeping the the run going as it were, or or keeping players fresh. We've got players out injured at the moment with. Um, Marcus Brown and Sam Baldock, who, when they were injured, it looked like they probably wouldn't be back now, you know, until next season. You know, it now looks like they might be back for the end of the season or a playoff run, you know, and it's it's that kind of, well, if we can get into the playoffs, we've got a couple of players 
potentially coming back there who were really important in a good run of form we had sort of back in February, you know, where we, we were doing really well with them playing. It's a funny one, isn't it, the playoffs? Like, in a way, I remember we did obviously the playoff show last year where we had fans of every club on. You had you who just sneaked in. You had myself who was kind of like sick as a pig that would basically doffed automatics again and sat in third, fourth, um, I think we ended up fourth actually. And then you had, correct me, who, who do we have? Lincoln. Blackpool and Lincoln. Blackpool yeah. and Lincoln, that's right. I had Tom on from Lincoln as well. And who was the other team in the playoffs last year? Blackpool. Yeah, no, no, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I said them all, didn't I? Of course, I'm not including myself then. thinking there's five teams in the playoff. Oh, God, I couldn't do that. Um, <laughs> and I think even when we spoke to the, the lad from Blackpool, he wasn't... I mean, you had Tom, who was Lincoln, and he said, well, you know, like, we've had a good season, better than expected. We'll see how it goes. You thought, well, we're coming in sixth, maybe, you mm-hmm. know, notoriously sometimes the team that just sneaks in thinks, oh, God, we've got in, let's go for it. And I was kind of like... Or maybe we'll roll up our sleeves and say, you know, we haven't got into the automax and this is the time we start producing results, even though we were on that bad run of form. <laughs> and the Blackpool fan obviously was, oh, we are the favourites here, but I'm a bit concerned that we're the favourites. So does anyone really go into the playoffs? Master, I mean, I'm talking well ahead in time here. I don't know if we'll get in them, but um, I, I do think, to be fair, to be I asked you a question, which I don't think anyone is massively confident because the playoffs is cliche lottery isn't it it's basically a lottery mm. um, yeah and and, we, and with you know the last two seasons that we've had you know losing semi-finalists last year and, mm-hmm. and we lost it in the first leg really you know 3-0 to Blackpool um, and we had a mountain to climb in the second leg it, you know we gave it a go but it didn't it didn't happen the season before that um, with no fans there we get to the final and, and Wickham do a number on us Wickham do a Wickham you know they were and they got up. Um, it's that we're now at that situation where you kind of go, okay, we've lost the semi-final, we've lost the final. You know, there's only one. If we get back in the playoffs, does that does that mean that the players are, you know, so strong they don't want it to happen again? That they'll really make sure it, you know, we get through, or are they mentally scarred by it and and it happens all over again? You know, it's it can go either way. And I, and I think whichever way it goes, you can make an argument that, oh yeah, it happened. You know, we, we got up or we didn't go up because of what happened in the past. And it's, you can kind of, you pick and choose whatever suits the narrative. And I, I think it's, it is a lottery in a way. Um, you know, it, it, it comes down to, you know, a whole season effect, effectively comes down to, you know, two games for the semi-final and one game for a final. And it can be, like Wickham managed to get in on the points per game thing. They only, you know, they weren't in the playoff places. If if it had gone on one game more, they probably wouldn't have made the playoffs that season because, you know, it was, it was cut short and all of that sort of stuff. It's just a, it's then, I think there's a, there's a, there's a huge kind of mentality thing goes on for the, for the playoffs uh, and, you know, being able to get yourself up just for two games. You know, I know, you know, the season, it's a long, hard slog, you know, 46 games in a season is a long, hard slog. Yeah, and then, it's it's come, then it comes down to just two. It's, it's I, I like, I hate them. And there's kind of a acceptance from my side that the best we're going to get this season is hopefully promotion by the playoffs. And if we get it, fantastic. But there's mm. no chance I'm going to Wembley confident if we get there, if we get through <laughs> the first two legs and if we end up somehow fifth, sixth or something and MK Dons don't catch Wigan because Wigan go on a decent run. I do not want to be playing MK Dons, which pains me to say. 
if I'm honest. I know that's a bit arrogant, mm. but I would have never said that 10 years ago. <laughs> I was already by MK Dons, but yeah. there you go. Um, we actually discussed this a, a few months ago on the, the last podcast you were on, which obviously people know I always listen back to the previous ones and see how madly my opinions differentiate, which is hilarious. Um, but Carl Robinson has consistently been having you in and around the playoff spots, which is why a lot of the time mm. the podcasts that we have are based on playoffs and playoff failure. Um, I asked you the question at the time, like, what is, what's the ambition of Oxford? What's the next step? What, what do you do? And you said, to be fair, you know, playoffs probably. Um, that's probably where we'd hope to be and hopefully this time go on and win it. Um, I think you said if you failed to get in the playoffs, you didn't say that I have to be and go far from it, but you said there was huge pressure on him and his job position at that point. Now we're getting closer to the season. If he fails to get in the playoffs, if you finish seventh where you are at the moment, are you of the same opinion that Carl Robinson probably needs, not peddled, but Oxford probably need a freshening up? I, I think with the stadium, I don't know how much, you know, we, we've, we've a little got bit. planning. Yeah, so we're, we're aiming to to get a new stadium. We don't own the stadium we're in at the moment. There's no chance that we will own it. And that because of that, it, the finances sort of hit. So there's a, there's a new stadium um, that's got to go through a lot of stages at the moment. We're still in con- consultation with the local councils and all of that sort of stuff. Not even planning permission gone in yet. So it's, it's, a, it's a long way off, you know, three, four, five years possibly. And I think Carl's job, certainly it seems to be within, you know, f- f- in terms of the club, there's no talk of him going from, from within the club. I don't think there's much pressure from there. He's probably overachieving in terms of budgets when you look certainly look at the size of some of the clubs in the division and, and what came out recently with the agents' fees. You know, there's some huge money being spent on players. So I, I think he's he's achieving what he's probably, you know, expected of him. And I think there's perhaps that... I, I, if we don't go up, I, I think I'd probably change my mind a little bit. I'd keep him. I think we're playing attractive football. He's developing a good squad. We're not that far away. As long as he doesn't just go out and buy another four or five wingers like he tends to, I think there's a there's a few areas in the in the squad that do need addressing. Um, but I think he's he's earned you know another season if we don't go up, um, and I think he'll get the backing of the board and, and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and and I think you know he's he's the right man. He gets the club. We, I, We've never really been a hire and fire club, um, certainly not in the last few years, even under different ownerships. It's been very much, you know, Michael Appleton had a decent run at it, even after a first season where we really struggled. The first season under Colt, we struggled a bit. But I think it's that kind of we've got a, a settled team, a settled club. Everything kind of is is positive. Um, and there's always that risk if you get rid of a a manager and get a new one in with different ideas and needs different players. It takes a while to get going again. And I think while we're still on that kind of upward trajectory and and things are going well, even if we don't get promotion, I think, I think it'll, you know, it'll certainly be here next year. Is that kind of the, because Oxford are far from one of the smaller clubs in the division, one of the bigger ones, but because the division is now so jam packed with big clubs, um, Mm. I'm obviously going to put us top of the list because, you know, obviously I speak facts. Um, <laughs> Southern fans will be pleased to hear. But I think we probably are. But then you've got Ipswich, you've got Portsmouth, um, you know, Wigan have got Premier League recent history and stuff like that. And I think 
you know, maybe Wigan aside because of their recent financial history, the likes of Portsmouth, mm-hmm. Ipswich and Sunderland occasionally seem to be in some sort of perma-crisis unless we get promoted. And every season, the ambition is not so much to get promoted, it's automatic promotion. It's not maybe coming to get playoffs and stuff like that. And sometimes naturally, um, some people say the patience wears thin. Me, me personally, I think five years in League One is pretty patient, but I understand people from the outside going, maybe if you just ploughed on and obviously... People sometimes look at this as a club that sacks managers quite fast. Um, there's caveats and there's all sorts of reasons for that, but that's a different podcast for a different day. But is that one of the benefits of Oxford is that because you're one of the slightly bigger clubs, but nowhere near, probably nowhere near the biggest ones because of the size of clubs that are in this division, you can afford mm-hmm. to maybe like, or the club doesn't feel as much pressure to kind of get rid of Carl Robinson and go, we need something fresh. That's been three campaigns in a row. We've been there, but not quite. They think, well, no, actually it's still... Upward trajectory still going in the same way. We trust this guy. Is that one of the benefits of Oxford? I think it probably is. Yeah, I think like you say yourselves. You've not mentioned Sheffield Wednesday. You know, there's another club with a huge amount of history, and and so many you kind of look many. at it. You know, they, if you if you said to anyone, right, there's three promotion places in League One. Who are you picking? Do you you know, Sunderland are a big club. Sheffield Wednesday are a big club. Pompey won the FA Cup not that long ago. We're going to have been in the Premier League. Rotherham are a kind of up and down club. Ipswich. You know, Bolton, it's it's Bolton. you know, you've, and then you, yeah, you you filled the the you know the top two and the playoff places with teams that realistically you could say are Championship or Premier League clubs, but not everyone's got that chance of going up. And I think you know that the that sort of slow, steady progress, the the club, I think what you know, if and when Touchwood this new stadium happens, and and the finances improve because of that, I think at that point the club would then perhaps start putting pressure on the manager that, right, we've now got a stadium that is really kind of fit for purpose. You know, it's, it's they're, they're talking about all sorts of stuff around it, sort of green credentials and, and it's state of the art and everything like that. It's, we're, we're, you know, you've been, because you know, Sam's horrible. We don't like it. The manor ground wasn't fit for purpose. You know, it'd be lovely to have a, a decent, but not just an identical stadium. And, and it, a stadium really that is championship level. I, you know, I, we're not a Premier League club, and I think most of our fans would be quite happy with with you know seasons in the Championship, you know, and, and some cup runs. I don't, I don't think there's many that expect us to be challenging for a Premier League place. It's you know that's we're we're we've spent a lot of our time in in you know the second tier of of, of English football um, recently. The last twenty years we've been nowhere near it, but a lot of time you know it's been, we've been there or thereabouts, and I think that's probably where the club sees itself. By the time this new stadium happens, that's when it's going to be right. Now there's some pressure on to get into the championship. Maybe the owners then decide they are, you know, they're going to throw money at it and they do want to, you know, a pop at the Premier League and the money that goes with it. But I think as fans, you know, the pressure isn't on Carl at the moment and I I don't think it will be. I think we're, it's just making sure that the club is sustainable after a few years where it's been, you know, not really. It's funny with the stadium you, you mentioned it there. And I mean, I was thinking back then, I'm thinking, I'm sure their ground was the manor ground, wasn't that long ago. And mm. I'm thinking, am I getting senile in my old age? Or, um, but I, I googled it as we were chatting there, secrets of the trade there. Um, <laughs> so if you hear tapping keys, that is my unprofessionalism. But, um, 1997, the Kassam Stadium opened, so the same amount of time the stadium light has been open. So it feels yeah, like it's been there no, forever, we, but two, um, I think it was 2001, I think was the foot when we actually moved in. It was started. Oh, was it? 
started in about 96, 97, and then it sat sort of, well, just three stands, just the steelwork for three stands was there sort of uh, gradually rusting because we ran out of money. Um, and then Kassam took over and finished the three stadiums. So it's, yeah, it's, it's it'll be, um, it's about 21, 22 years we've been in there. So it will be a quick turnaround. I don't think anyone's moved sort of, from into a new stadium and out again in in sort of such quick time. Um, Haven't we? But it's yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Several. Um, in out, shaking yeah. all about this. <laughs> like different around. clubs, yeah. But it, it, yeah, it, it it's it, uh, like it's, uh, there's it, it could take up a, a whole pod talking about the stadium ownership and and ex chairman and stuff like that. It's it's not happy sort of reading. Um and it yeah it for us to progress and, and make money um sustain you know just just basic income um on things like you know food and drink in the stadium and and uh the, the sort of corporate hospitality and that sort of stuff. The club doesn't make much money out of it. It goes to the stadium and it which is not owned by the club. Um so it does make it very, very difficult. And there's, and there's you know, so much that goes into that, isn't there? And stuff in the stadium. I mean, the, yeah, at this level, yeah, yeah. You need you need plenty of revenue streams, and at the moment, that's that's one that we've not had for a number of years, and it it, it it's holding us back. It's tough to to compete with the likes of Sunderland and, and you know those other big clubs we talked about. who we are getting you know obviously going to get bigger crowds than us. But even when you do get the big crowds, there's stuff around that that we're not making as much money from as we we would if we owned the stadium. Um, so it's it's something to be financed at the moment by 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 the owners who luckily have got deep pockets. But that you know, you, I think you you know you look at your club and you you want to be successful, but you want a club to be able to you know that's still there in 10, 15, 20, 50 years time. You don't want to go pop like so many clubs have and, and just looking at Derby at the moment you know that even a massive club like Derby could go could go pop and that would be dreadful for them you know of, of football in general we, we don't want it happening to us so it, it's making sure that long term the club is there so much money I think in football these days that maybe 20 30 40 year ago before I was alive obviously and before I took a, an interest or at least before podcast existed I think because money wasn't such, it wasn't so prevalent in the game, you could be like, oh, well, do we just go for it for a couple of seasons and get it right? And you can have that fairy tale fantasy. Now, if you kind of mm. chuck money at it, there's always a caveat of, are we going to be Leeds? Like, Leeds got Champions League mm. semi final and then they had the best part of 20 years outside of the, the top leagues. And for a while, yeah. Leeds became a joke. And let's be honest, for all people tend to really hate Leeds um, as it seems to go for some reason, at least that's what they think. Um, they're a huge football club, like absolutely mm. enormous, and they very didn't need well. I was going to say didn't need to go out of business, but they were in administration about four times, um, mm. which ended their playoff and pro promotion hopes and stuff like that. And I, I think you have to go that way these days, don't you? There has to be some sort of sustainability, and there has to be a kind of um, buying players at a good price and selling them at a good profit, unless you are Man United, Man City, and mm. unfortunately, potentially those bastards up the road that have been taken over by similar yeah. bastards <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it, you you kind of go back to the mid 90s and a, and a club like blackburn with a with a rich owner you know in jack walker who put a lot of money in but in in today's terms the money he put in is is tiny really you know mm -hmm. he redeveloped the stat you know the ground i don't know what he 
spent, he probably ended up maybe 100 million down or 200 million down. You know, that's now the cost of perhaps one player, you know, that, that the likes of Newcastle might be buying next season. Who knows? You know, and it's, you you can, you can, if you've got somebody, you know, yeah, it's gambling, it's at different levels. But as soon as that, you know, owner or ownership group walks away, in like looking at Chelsea, you know, Abramovich, his money clearly has been sustaining Chelsea over the years because as soon as they cut his money off, they go, well, we haven't got any money to, to pay for anything. It's like, well, no, because all your, the vast majority of your money was Abramovich just giving the club loads of money rather than it being through traditional ticket sales, selling, you know, replica kit and trading players. It, it It's come from an external source that's just gone, here's a load of money, you know, in the same way, like you say, that the, the likes of Man City and that lot up the road, you know, it's just going to be loads of external money going, here you go. And it, it it's fine while it lasts and if it lasts, but if it doesn't and people walk away, then you, your club's in real danger because there's no way to sustain that level of spending. I think it has to be there at this level as well. I think that's why you see so many clubs going down the loan market have taken players from Man City and stuff like that. We seem to have worked for every single club apart from Sunderland for some reason when we get the ones <laughs> that are knackered halfway through the season. Sorry, Callum Doyle, I'm sure you're fine. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think it has to be sustainable, doesn't it? I've gone off on a bit of a tangent there, but um, I was looking at your, your goal-scoring charts and the suspects that I expected are kind of there. I'll be honest, I could have probably guessed them. Matt Taylor, Cameron Brannigan, James Henry, they're all around there, Gavin White. Mm. Um but aside from the people that the Sunderland fans know by now, um, who is it that's in good form for Oxford going into the weekend? Yeah, but certainly Matt Taylor is. Um, Sam Baldock was and got injured. We brought him in. He came, talking about Derby, he came in from Derby um, in January. Um, he's a local lad, supported the club as a youngster. And we kind of changed the formation to suit him because we've always played with Matt Taylor on his own up front and two or three around him. But when Baldock came in and it was clear that look, they both need to play, we went to a back three. And that kind of change to a back three has brought in Ryan Williams and Mark Sykes as wingbacks. So we're both kind of forward thinking players, lots of energy. And both of those have, have been kind of slightly unsung heroes in a way. Certainly Sykes this season is scoring a lot more goals than he than he has in previous years. Um, and I think he... If he plays well, we play well. We we I think you're right. Brannigan, we missed him on on Saturday. He might not play on on Tuesday at Morecambe. Hopefully, he's going to be fit for for Saturday. But he he's a big miss. You know, when when Brannigan doesn't play, um, I think he just sets the tone for everyone. He does everything the right way. He he hates losing. He wants to win, and he's you know he's absolutely focused on that. And it, it sort of gives everyone a lift. Um, so I think yeah he. Gavin White's been playing really well. He needs a goal. It's kind of his assists. I think he's sort of 10 or 11 assists for the season um, and, a, and a couple of goals. But yeah, he, he just needs a break in front of goal for one to go in. I think he could go on a little run between now and the end of the season. Um, Luke McNally's another one who came in because of injuries. It's another, it's another centre-half. We, we seem to have sort of churned them out over the last few years. You know, like Rob Dickey went to QPR and Rob Atkinson's gone to Bristol City and, and others in the past. And, and Luke McNally's a lad that we that got in from Ireland 18 months ago. And whether it was an April fall, I'm not sure, but Spurs apparently are sniffing around him. So it's, he's, he's a young... I know, yeah, it's one of those sort of like, really? I think we've... But then... 
it's it's I think he's it shows how well he's done that nobody went well that's complete bollocks you know it's sort of like oh it could be because he's actually you know one of these players that's really looking like he could play in the Premier League. Spurs do do that though I mean I kind of unbeknown to the people listening because obviously it's not a visual podcast but I kind of like pulled my face I think the Spurs but Mm. we've got a boy in loan at the moment Jack Clark Obviously, we've got him on loan at the minute from Spurs, and they paid ten million for him from Leeds, and he's on loan in League mm. One, and he's a good player. Um, but you can see there's so much to learn there. So, you know, it's not unlike Spurs to take a chance on certain players. You know, you've in the mm. past you've had your, your Walker Peters, you've had your um, your Kyle Walkers, you've had your Kyle Nortons, and those sort of players to put in. So it's it's actually not unheard of for Spurs to do that, is it? No, and it, I think it's it's perhaps sort of one of those things that you know where the clubs are looking, trying to look for a bit more value in players, you know, rather than spending silly money on, on, you know, players from all around the world where, you know, whoever it is, you know, looking at a player and going, well, why can't he be the next great centre half? You know, he's certainly, he's, he's got the the raw ability. um, And and yeah, he's, he's been a, a real kind of, a real fine. Like I say, we had Jordan Thornley on loan from Blackport. He went back in, in January and we've had a, a couple of injuries to um, to Elliot Moore, who's the captain of the centre-half. So McNally's had to come in and he's absolutely taken to it like he's been playing football all... Well, playing football all his life. You know, playing at that level all his life. He looks so comfortable on the ball. He's a, a really good ball-playing centre-half, loves to get forward. Um, and he's also a threat from set-pieces, which we've... We've been dreadful at set pieces, goals from corners. We never score. I think he's got about three this season, from, you know, from set pieces. So uh, he's he's one to watch. You've got certain players that you've got a kind of a knack of producing or bringing in decent players at least at a young age. At centre half, Rob Dickey's obviously doing really well um, mm. in the championship. I think he's been mooted for Premier League links. Rob Atkinson was the the man last season. Um, came mm. at the start of last season, so it would. It would be a bit of a trajectory, wouldn't it? It's the same as the ones in the past. It's, again, not unheard of for Oxford to produce players that are capable of a level higher than this. Yeah, and, and certainly centre-halves. I don't know where we're getting them from you know, or or who's identifying them, but and it, and it seems to be, you know, every season we lose one and it's like, oh, we're not going to be able to replace so-and-so and then we replace him and then he goes and, it, oh, we're never going to replace him and we do. And it's that kind of constant churn of, of centre-halves. You know, it'd be nice to keep one for a couple, you know, a little sort of centre-half team pairing together for a couple of years, but, you know... Uh, like we said earlier, sustainability. If you know, if Spurs or any other club is going to give you a couple of million for a player, we signed for I don't know, maybe hundred grand. I don't. It was undisclosed, but it wouldn't have been much more than that. I can't imagine. It's it's a huge profit in eighteen months, and and if we've got the next one lined up, then then great. You know, it's 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 how you have to be. You know, that player trading model is is a way of making money. Yeah, and it goes back to kind of what we went off on a tangent on about five minutes ago, which kind of rounds it off perfectly. I think you you brought him in from League of Ireland, didn't you? Yes, yeah, yeah. We've we've been. I, I just recently I've had a, a journalist from the uh, Belfast Telegraph sort of talking to me about it, and it's one of those sort of like, oh yeah, because yeah, Mark Sykes has come in from Ireland. Joel Cooper, who, who came in, has gone out on loan at the moment. Um, Gavin White came to us um, and has. Um, Obviously sold into to Cardiff, but he's come back on loan. Mark Sykes and, and Luke McNally. Yeah, there's a there's a real kind of and it's interesting, you know, you, you talked about earlier going back to the sort of the days before the Premier League, 
most of the top clubs had two or three Irishmen in it. You know, they, you know, you, Kevin Moran at Man, you know, and, and you know, you'd, you'd name two or three Irishmen from pretty much every top club in the seventies and eighties. And it, you know, there's they're they're good players. They come over, they settle in. You know, it's not a language problem. It, it's it's an easy fit, and 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 they're certainly talented enough. Obviously, it's a, a different league, but we brought in. The reason I mentioned it was we brought in a young boy from Linfield in Northern Ireland. Mm. Uh, Try Hume. He hasn't really had much of a chance, but when he's played, he's looked all right. Um, so I'm just clinging on to hope that he turns out all right. You see, um, I think the last time we faced you, which was early December, I think. Sunderland were kind of coming off the back of a fairly poor run where we picked up like occasional wins after a really bad run of defeats. And then I think as we all know, and every Sunderland fan listening will know, we went on a, a really good spate of, of form after that. And by the end of December, um, we'd beaten Sheffield Wednesday 5-0 at home and we'll top the league. And it was like, oh, well, all this positive hope and that little bad run we've came out of, this is great. And then lo and behold... Lee Johnson had a swing in form, which can sometimes happen. We had a huge bump, and that culminated in a 6-0 defeat at Bolton and Lee Johnson's dismissal. Um, Alex Niels came in. Don't need to repeat this, but I will anyway. He's unbeaten in seven. He's on a run of five clean sheets from six. Um, from a completely neutral point of view, because I feel like every couple of times we speak, there'll be a new manager probably. Most of those decisions, I've got to be honest and say that, are backed. I, I, listeners to this will know I was not a fan of Lee Johnson, but I'm curious as to a perspective from, from your side, from an Oxford perspective, that maybe isn't involved with Sunderland every day. Do you think Sunderland a better place to get promotion with Alex Neal than they were under Lee Johnson? Yeah, I, I, Alex Neal is one of those managers that you kind of, he's, he's not necessarily a big name, but when you, you, he's one of those managers that you perhaps talk about and then go, yeah, he's always done a decent job wherever he's been. He's he's been a decent manager, you know, young, you know, thoughtful, plays decent football. It's not he's not just one of those managers that gets a job because he's always had a job in football. He, you know, he's he's a a very good manager. And when he when you know when he he came to you guys, I thought actually that's obviously Roy Keane was the big name, and it was you kind of think. It, would it have been a circus? You know, he, he's been out of football, well, been out of coaching for quite a while. And I think someone like Alex Neal is, and I, I, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Chris Wilder, who, who was manager at our place. And I think he he would have been a, a, a good fit there. Without being rude, would he have dropped down to the third tier oh, after no. getting I, clubs out of there? I but agree. It, that sort of manager who you know, demands respect from his players because he does things the right way, but also has a bit more to him than, than the, you know, the, the sort of the slightly older generation who, who just keep churning around in, you know, turning up at jobs. Um, no, I, I think if you don't get up this season, I think next season you'll be, a, you know, again, a massive threat, but I think you've got a manager there who, who's better than the ones you've had in this, you know, this level, I think he's, he's a step above. I think so. I, I I can't add much more to that, but I do think that is the case. Um, going on to Saturday's game, and obviously looking at the recent form between the clubs, <laughs> um, we did lose 1-1, which was actually under Phil Parkinson, even though it sounds like a Jack Ross result, because as all Sunderland fans know, Jack Ross loved losing games 1-1. Um, but previously, 11 league games, 
we've been unbeaten against you. I didn't really mm. realise this because a lot of draws have been in there and kind of it's hard to say we're a bogey club if you've got a few draws. But there must be something building in the Oxford fan base where you think, oh, bloody Sunderland again. Because I know it does with Sunderland when you go like 11 games without beating them. Mm. Yeah, they've always been tight though. They? You know, every game certainly in in this league since you've been down in this league there's i think there's only ever been one goal in it or something you know it's been one nil one nil nil or one one nil yeah it's they've always been tight games uh, you know we we've never and it you're right you kind of look at it and think oh, actually yeah we've not we've not won games but they've always we've always done okay you know we've not been absolutely stuffed so it, there's always that kind of like Actually, you know, we we don't mind playing you. It's not like we're going. We, you're a bogey. Yes, you're a bogey side in that we've not beaten you, but they've always been close. And it's you just feel the, a little bit of luck. Maybe this this Saturday it goes our way. It, it, I, I expect it to be another very very tight game and probably just one goal in it. In six one one draws within those eleven unbeaten games, um, <laughs> including, like I say, the 1-1 one, one draw in the Cup as well. Um, mm. I wanted to test your knowledge here, and I promise I'm not saying that you're old here in any way, shape, size, or form. I'm saying we're <laughs> both old. Yeah, well, we're both, <laughs> aren't we? Let's be honest. Yeah. Can you remember the last time Oxford beat Sunderland in a league game? Off the top of my head, no. I'm going to... I'm going to... No, that was a draw as well. I was going to say, because the very ever first pay-per-view game was an Oxford-Sunderland game. Mm-hmm. And I think that was nil-nil. It was. Um, I'm tr- no, I probably can't. I, I, no, I'm struggling. I was there, weirdly enough. Um, I don't remember much about the game other than something were crap, so they kind of all muddles <laughs> into one. But it was the 26th of April, 1994. Sunderland went 2 nil up. Um, and I believe you pulled it back to win 3-2. I want to say Paul Moody scored. Moody, um, oh, right, yeah, yeah. And I think he got two, and I think it was someone called... Chris Allen might have got the winner. I'm Chris check Allen, that. yeah, local lads. Yeah, Chris Allen, yeah, could well have been right. That's the right era. But it was yeah. Walker Park. Obviously, I can, oh, I can Google the result, which kind of triggered my mind a little bit. And there's <laughs> a lot of Sunderland fans will know there's a good website um, online, I think, which is called, oh God, I can't remember it. But I, I really should have went on to get the scores. But I remember it specifically because it was one of my first few games at Walker Park. Um, I specifically remember him. Obviously, we might as well mention while we're here, God rest his soul, Joy Beecham mm. um, was in the lineup that day. Obviously, very, very sad news that he passed away not too long yeah. ago. Um, mm. Awful, in fact. But um, penultimate question is probably a pointless and completely irrelevant one, but I'm going to ask it anyway because you know what? It's my show and I can do what I want. Um, Jermaine Defoe was a club both mm. clubs chased in the transfer window before he chose us. Everything was brilliant. I get to four number 10 on the back of my shirt, get my name on the back of my shirt for the first time in about 40 years. That's a lie. Um, and then he retires seven weeks later without scoring a goal. Not looking at the reasons he's left and stuff like that, but I'm kind of curious from an Oxford perspective, what did you make of it all? And I mean, both the signing at Sunderland, your chase of him, and then the subsequent mm. retirement and your thoughts after that. Yeah, it, it there was certainly room. I, I'm, Pretty sure he did come and talk to us as well. Um, I, you know, the, I think he was he was certainly had talks. If not um, us, I think it was you. I think basically, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Um, at the time, it was kind of like blimey. You know, that would be if he if he's still fit, if he can still do it, then he you know the way we play and the way we we create chances for people, he he would be ideal. Um, you know, 
he's always been a goal scorer wherever he's been. He, you know, and he's he's not a big battering ram of a centre forward that's perhaps lost his edge. You know, he he was always a, a finisher, and I don't think you you don't really lose that because it's all you know it's in it's in your head. As it turned out, we we kind of dodged a bullet because we brought Sam Bolduck in instead. Um, and although he's now injured, I think he scored four goals and set two or three up and was very, really important for a run of about half a dozen games where he was, you know, he, he got us wins. He, he impacted games um, and fingers crossed he's fit again before the end of the season. He could be, you know, a hugely important player then and maybe into next season. I think he's only sort of early 30s. Um, you know, we could probably get a season out of him. Um, he's a local lad. His, his brother, George, played for us um, in the promotion season um, or he came up into League One. And his other brother is the club doctor at the moment at Oxford. So there's, there's a real kind of sort of family sort of link there. Um, so, yeah, ultimately, I think we dodged a bullet with, with Jermaine Defoe, um, which is a shame because it would have been, you know, if he'd have been fit for you, it'd have been a hell of a signing. And it, it's clear he's decided that for whatever reasons, it's, you know, yeah, time to call it a day. And I suppose it's a shame when, when when players have to get to that point where they're thinking, yeah, this is the end, you know, and, and I'm not going to go and play at a lower level where I perhaps could play at, you know, non-league, top of non-league or whatever. You know, no, it, it's like call it a day and, and go out it's at the top. Very sudden thing to happen, like seven mm. weeks after he signs and we do the, the last dance. It turns out his last dance wasn't very good. Um, it was more, <laughs> yeah. more, more of a jiggle. Stumbling onto the dance floor at midnight, <laughs> falling over, yeah. It wasn't even as good as the, the Ricky Gervais dance in the office, I don't think, to be completely honest. So, In fact, it was nowhere near. Um, if you're listening, JD, though, I'm, I still love you, it's fine. Um, I know some people don't, but I do. Um, last but not least... People always know that the predictions. Um, I didn't get it right last week. I've been slightly better this this season. I think I got four right last year, or three, which is horrendous in a forty six game season. Um, <laughs> and this season I've got five right, so narrowly better. But you've got to take the the gains. Um, I would like to think something can win, and I am feeling very positive. But I'm trying to put my sensible head on and say, well, Sunderland and Oxford tend to draw one one an awful lot. So mm-hmm. if I was a betting man, which I'm not. Um, for the reason I stipulated beforehand, I would probably say 1-1. I'm going to stick with it because I said 1-1 last week and we won 1-0 in the 95th, 96th minute. So I am a superstitious man if I'm not a bet man. So I'll say 1-1. Yeah, I, I, I'm probably going to go for the same. I think We're, it's going to be tight. Like you say, you, you know, that that 90-odd minute winner for you, the last home game, we had a, a 95th minute equaliser that felt like a win. Um, yeah, that... It would probably suit both sides in a way. Um, I mean, ideally, you'd want the win, but I, I think it's yeah, you don't want to lose ground on those teams around you, like we said earlier. I, I, and I think yeah, history is going to repeat itself. It's going to be a one-one. I think you've also um, to show I've put more than just my stupid thoughts into it about superstition. I suppose there's a bit of a science behind it. You're the top scorers in the league. But we're also probably one of the best defences at the moment. So mm. likelihood is you might squeak one pass. We might also get one pass because you're a bit more open. I don't know. Um, but yeah. yes, I'm going to say I'm going to say one one. But Sai, thanks for joining me for the 147th time. Um, <laughs> for people listening, there's not going to be a review show, which I'm a bit sad about. Um, I am going to take my laptop to New York, but I don't actually have space for the podcast mic. I'm sure, hopefully, you'll let me off. Um, 
listeners. If you don't, I'm sorry. <laughs> don't mean to let you down. That's something I don't like doing, as you all know. But um, thanks for tuning in to a very early preview show. And, and Sai, thanks always for joining me, mate. Thank, thank you, and, and enjoy your holiday. You oh, deserve it. I will. I'll see you.